Welcome to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. Dick draws his teaching from a deep well of love for the Bible and 50 years of strategic ministry among university students. Enjoy this episode and remember, your Father in Heaven loves you. In case you uh, have the right place, they need a little more mic. In case you uh, to note you're in the right place, this is the class, the Confessions of a Modern Christian Mystic. And I'd like to ask Vern Peterson, if you would you open in prayer with us tonight? Amen. Amen. We talk about sainthood sometimes, and sometimes we do so in kind of a light manner. We say, oh, so-and-so is a real saint. And I believe that God by the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to make all of us saints in, in the biblical sense. The, the word saint just literally means holy ones or a true believer. And it's something that God calls, calls every one of us to. But there's the element and the dimension of us working that out in our Christian life and, and allowing the work of the Spirit and the work of God's Word to really permeate and transform our lives. And that's what I want to focus on. I want to use some examples of some people throughout church history that have truly been known as saints. And uh, if you'll excuse the word mystics, we want to talk about what that means during our, our time here together. We want to see that from the Scripture, this is something that God wants us really deeply to strive after. And as I've been taking this summer to prepare and, and pull some things that God has been working in me about 10 years now. I, I have a real desire that, that something is birthed in your hearts to know God better. And something that will spur you on, as, as Dave was sharing with us last night about thirsting for God. I've prayed that the Holy Spirit would put something within our spirit that would really cry out for God. The, the scripture says that God's put the spirit within us by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And I pray that there'll be, there'll be a, a release in our hearts of something that will want to know God better in, on a day-to-day -day basis. In Hebrews 4.12, I'll read a, a passage here. Excuse me, Hebrews 4.2. The writer of Hebrews is speaking of, of the gospel in the Old Testament that was preached to the Israelites. And, and this is what he says. He says, for indeed, we had the good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Another translation says, it was not mixed with faith. And I pray that as you come to a conference like this, which, which is a real special time in, in all of our lives. Man, these conferences, God does some really beautiful things as, as we gather together in the dimension of community and the Holy Spirit moving and operating in our midst, God is really, in, in a special way, released to do things. And, and I trust that all of you come to one of these things with, with really faith in your heart that God is going to do something in your life. How many of you have a sense in your heart that, God, I need something done in my life this, this, this week as I'm here. Otherwise, I wouldn't come, to be honest with you. If I didn't know that God was going to do something to transform and change me, then I wouldn't be here. And see, the, the gospel was preached in many places and in many times. And the reason why it doesn't have its transforming power is that it's not mixed with faith 
in the people who hear. And so I want to exhort you that, that all through this week, you'll be mixing the things that you're hearing with, with the faith of God and saying, God, I, I believe that this can become a reality in my life. I believe that you are going to lead me by your spirit and that you're going to release and operate new things into my life. Kind of the key scripture that we want to go from is, is something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. This is going to be kind of our, our keynote scripture and something that uh, I'm, I'm going to be calling and pleading with you to develop and to strengthen in your lives. Jesus begins in, in Matthew chapter 6 with verse 1. And he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And you guys, I think that, that one of the great temptations that we have as Christians is to perform our Christianity for people. Boy, that is a great temptation. And, and God, in, in the dealings of the cross, the way God deals with this, it, it, it utterly smashes and deals with the kind of thing that wants to be noticed. And, and, and all of us, the, the thing of pride and, and religiosity really is rooted deeply in every one of us. And it takes a real major work of the Holy Spirit for God to begin to root that, 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 that extreme self-centeredness out of us. And uh, that's, that's just the way we are. And God's been gracious to give us um, the word of the cross and the word of, of, of life and liberty to help us to attain from glory to glory into a transforming work that's going to make us more like Jesus. And then and I'm going to go on to verse 5 here. It says, and when you pray, notice Jesus didn't say if you pray, he says when you pray, assuming that we will pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. They were looking for people to notice them. And that's their motive for doing it. Jesus said, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will repay you. The place that I want to talk about in these next four sessions is the secret place that I'm going to call the closet. The place that no one is going to be observing you, not your, your pastor, not your core group leader, not your shepherd, whoever you're in some kind of accountability to, but it's a place that's seen by Jesus alone. And that's why it's so hard to do, because there's no glory in it. There's no glory in the closet time as far as people goes. No one's going to know if you spent time in praying and fasting for salt. And by the way, if you went and start name dropping and saying, well, you know, I spent three days in fasting for this conference, then Jesus goes, he's got his reward in full. And so we lose our reward when we start broadcasting our good deeds. And Jesus wants us to develop that place of quietness, that place of solitude with him, so that in that inner room, when we begin to pray and we begin to seek God, and as the Holy Spirit leads us into new dimensions of God, it's that place where the reality of Christ is going to become birthed and is become, going to become manifest more and more in our lives. I believe that the great men and women of God of the past generations and many that are, are living today are great because they spent that hidden time with God. See, God has a way of rewarding those who spend hidden time with Him. And when you, when you begin to see tremendous marks of fruitfulness and, and good works in the lives of a Christian, in the life of a Christian, 
God's simply putting his approval on that person, and you can pretty well assume that God is blessing their quiet, private time with the Lord. And for some people, it's years. I know of teachers that have sought God. I know one lady who is being mightily used of God in Youth with a Vision, a lady called Joy Dawson, and she sought the Lord for 20 years and had had these daily times with the Lord, cultivated uh, a real knowledge of God through the Word, and just walked with God as a housewife. 20 years was a virtual unknown. And then at some point, God began to release her into public ministry, and now she's known around the world. But there was 20 years of preparation in, in virtual obscurity where only her family really knew the kind of time she was seeking God. And you read of men and women in the Bible. All, all through the Scripture, we find the examples of men and women that were willing to pay the price to know God in those quiet places, in those secret places. And then in, in God's time and in His way, He begins to release public recognition and tremendous fruitfulness follows those times. I want to give you a little testimony and background to my own life. I've, uh, I, I mentioned last night, I've been, uh, this is my 10th salt that I've been up here at Hungry Horse. I missed one in 1975, and I came to the first one in 1973. I became a Christian in 1973. I was a student in electrical engineering at Montana State University and had a, a very nominal church background, didn't really know much about the Lord, um, virtually nothing about the Bible. And by the time I reached my senior year, I was really searching for a lot of things. And I wasn't finding it in my academic study. I wasn't finding it in schoolwork. And I wasn't finding it in, in philosophies, looking into Eastern religion. And I wasn't finding it in my experimentation with drugs. And just as, as at a point when I was inside, ready to give up and just scream, Jesus revealed himself to me in a, in a very dramatic way at a Barry Maguire concert. And some of you know who he is. He's an old uh, singer from the 60s, and he became a Christian in 1970. And he came to our campus, and a group of about 100 people showed up. And I was there doing sound by divine appointment. Doing, I was running the sound system. Listen to this guy, and I begin to identify with everything he said. And I begin to hear the word of who Jesus was and what he did. And something happened in, in my heart. There was no altar calls or anything, but I was changed because I met the person of Jesus Christ that night. And I just had, got tied in with some Christian people that were, uh, um, that are, that were involved in Maranatha, which is the, the group, uh, the, fe- the fellowship that I'm the campus minister of now. And, and people just began to show me who Jesus was. And God dealt with me in, in this particular way. And, and I don't want you to assume that this has to be the absolute in your life, because you understand God deals with each one of us in an individual way. And we can't compare experiences and say, wow, this guy is really spiritual because he had these experiences. Or I've just had a dry kind of Christian life, therefore I must not be very spiritual. See, it's very unwise to compare experiences because God, first of all, knows what we need and he knows where we're at and he he just knows how to reveal himself to us at the right times. And, and I had a tremendous honeymoon with the Lord because have, after having walked through four years of college in, a, in an increasingly dry desert and coming at the place where I was never, I never contemplated suicide. I just, I just never knew that was not an answer, but I did not know what the answer to life was. And I was itching to find it. I said, I've got to find out why I'm here. And it was really just stirring me up and driving me crazy inside until, and I wasn't satisfied until I found the reason why I was here. And when I found Jesus, it was like 
taking a great big drink of water after a, a thirsty day. It was like those fellows in Africa after that long day with uh, no water, finding cool, clear water to drink. And that's what the Lord was in my life. And I found that that first six months was a tremendous time of rooting me and grounding me. I was just enamored with the Scripture, never having read the Bible. Some uh, Campus Crusade fellow the year before had put a little good news for God, for modern man in my hand. And so I put it on my shelf thinking, yeah, yeah, it'd probably be a good idea to read the Bible. But I, I, after I met the Lord, I started reading this. And boy, the Scripture just started coming alive to me. And I would read it and cry and read it and laugh and read it and get convicted and think, oh boy, I've got to change some things in my life. And God just began a real house cleaning in my life. And God began really literally to sever the sin out of my life and things that... Uh, the, my conscience came alive and I realized, oh my God, what have I done here? And God just began cutting and severing things out of my life. And I, I began to learn what it meant to walk with Jesus. Following that time, that was about a six-month honeymoon. I went through another six months of utter dryness where it seemed like God had left the universe and was forever gone. And I didn't sense anything of any feelings or emotions. And it, it was just dry bones. I thought I'd backslid. God, what did I do? Where are you? Are you here? And it was it was really a, a test to walk through that time. But God had to teach me in a very vivid way that we don't walk by feelings, but we walk by the Word of God. And that's when I really began to, I think, get founded and, and really learn to walk by what the Scripture says, regardless of my feelings. Now, you know, when we have experiences in the Holy Spirit, and I believe God wants us to have experiences we need to remember that we walk by faith in the Word of God. And the tendency for Spirit-filled people, when we begin to sense the Holy Spirit moving in our midst, is that when we don't sense that, we go, oh no, what's wrong? And many times that simply is a, is a test of God. Because God is wise enough not to let us be run by our feelings. And if, I'm sure most, many of you have learned that, that you're going to have peaks of experience. And you're going to have valleys where it seems like God is gone. And you need to learn to walk with the Lord, not only on the, on the mountaintops, like this is what this is, is a mountaintop. We need to learn to walk with God through the valleys. I liked what Dave Argue said last night. We have pivotal experiences in God. And that's what my conversion was. It was a, my conversion was a radical day and night kind of conversion. And we need to, we need to have experiences like that. And I believe it's right that we pray for ourselves and others that God would make pivotal points in their lives and in your discipleship and in your ministry with other people. I think it's right and well that we pray, God, give this person a pivotal experience that we're seeking um, as we're seeking to disciple them and help them come into the things of God, that God would allow these sovereign breakthroughs to happen because it results in our healing and, and in our wholeness. But we also need to learn the dimension of just walking it out every day, don't we? And this is where the place, the secret place takes really on a lot of meaning is, is in this area of daily seeking God. Because I wish I could get up here and say that every morning when I've sought God and had my quiet time, that it's just been fireworks. But I can't tell you that. Now, I've had some times when it has felt like I've been in heaven. Some tremendous times when I've been alone with God. And wow, things have opened up from the scripture or God has just seemed so near but the regular, normal day of seeking God is, is, is more just like everyday life. And God, from time to time, allows these, these beautiful expressions of himself by the Spirit in our lives. And so we don't want to focus on having experiences, but we want to focus on seeking the Lord. And seeking the Lord in a, in a consistent day-to-day -day way. In the last 10 years, since I became a Christian, 
I can't say that I've had my quiet time every day because I've missed many days. But I, but I can say with God as my witness that I've had a consistent walk with God and I've had a consistent time of seeking the Lord in the scripture, seeking the Lord in prayer and seeking the Lord in times of fasting and, and, and just setting myself aside for, for the things of God. And, you know, the Bible says that the Lord is a rewarder of those who seek him diligently. And I want to stand here tonight and say that the 10 years of seeking God has not been in vain and that God has more than amply rewarded my and I would call them meager efforts to know him. He has he has rewarded those far beyond anything that I could have comprehended. I use salt as as a measuring point in my life because I come to these conferences at the, in the beginning, I was coming as a student and, and then as a, a new campus minister. And then it, several years later, uh, the Lord began to release some ministry and I became a, a teacher and a minister and helped with worship and things. So I've, I've gone through a whole different dimension of different roles as I've come here. But I've seen that, that every year when I've come back, I can look back at the years before and I can say, boy, Lord, I appreciate what you've done in my life. I appreciate the change that I'm not at the same place that I was a year ago, but I have grown and I've become more of what you want me to be. And I, and that's the way you see in 10 years down the road, where are all of you going to be in 10 years down the road? Are you still going to be seeking God diligently? Are you still going to have a heart for his kingdom? Because to be honest with you, I wish I could say that everyone in our fellowship 10 years later is seeking God, but that's not the case. Some of the ver same folks that I became a Christian with, that we sang and worshiped the Lord with, had tremendous experiences in the Holy Spirit. Some of them today are not even going to church and are somewhat resentful, resentful and bitter towards Christianity and towards different things. I, dare, I thought, who would have thought 10 years ago with us, with the way we were in love with Jesus, that these folks would have ever ended up like that. But reality is some of my friends who I got saved with are, are, are very much dried up on the vine. Are they still Christians? I believe they still are. Are they fruitful for God? I, do, I would really question whether they are. And see, where are you going to be in 10 years from now? I trust, and I try, and, and it, see, it takes this thing of having the heart to seek God daily. That's what's going to keep us alive, and that's when uh, that is what's going to keep our our lives in, in a place where God can make us fruitful. In Psalms 27, David sets the stage for a really neat thing here that I trust will become a model for all of our lives. In Psalms 27. Verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? And then verse 4, David says, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me and in his in his tabernacle, in the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock and now my head will be lifted up above mine enemies around me and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy and I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. And then verse eight, when thou didst say, seek my face, my heart said to thee, thy face, O Lord. I shall seek. And you know, the Bible says in Acts 13, 22, that David is a man that was after God's own heart. 
You read the life of David in, in, in the scripture, you know that he wasn't a perfect man by any means. He committed some great sins and great atrocities. He made some terrible mistakes. And yet God says, the Holy Spirit testifies of him that he is a man after God's own heart. And you see, if we have a heart to want to dwell in the temple of God, if we have, have a desire to want to be in right relationship with the Lord Jesus, God is going to say to us, hey, here is a man, here is a woman who is after my heart. And God's going to give us the grace that we can go forward and press through the different difficulties and trials that God allows in our lives. And he's going to strengthen us that we might be in a right relationship with him on a, on a day-to-day basis. God invites us to take an inward journey with him. So God, Jesus beckons us to take an inward journey. And that inward journey is the revelation of Christ within us. See, it's, it's more than just being saved and going to heaven. For so long, we've been taught that, you know, you know, be born again and you get to go to heaven. And man, that's great. I'm, I can't wait to go there. But it's like heaven comes along as part of the package. But the real goal of Christ in our lives is the image of Jesus in us, isn't it? That's what Jesus, the Father, wants the image of Jesus to be perfected in our lives. And that's why we go through suffering, because suffering is able to draw things out of us that nothing else can. Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered, didn't he? And he was a son that was made perfect. How much more than should we, who are imperfect, also be taught through the things that we'll suffer and the things that we'll undergo in the will of God? And so God, see, he invites us to take the inward journey of walking with Jesus day by day, learning first of all about him, Secondly, we learn about ourselves because as we see Jesus, then we see ourselves and how much in need of transformation we are. And then when we see the need, then we see God's grace coming to change us and transform us and make us into the image of Jesus. Remember, Jesus said that yeah, we look at our brother and we see the, the, might or the little speck in his eye, but we have telephone poles in our own eyes. So we all have great, we are all immensely blinded by our own pride, aren't we? We don't see ourselves very clearly. I see myself quite idealistically. I don't see my faults. I don't see a lot of the things that, that some of you who know me, those especially those of you who know me better, see more clearly than I do. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit, see, to bring us face to face with our own pride, to bring us face to face with the areas that Jesus wants to change. And if we will walk with him, and if we will listen and obey the dealings and the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're going to be a beautiful trophy to the glory of God. Now I want you to turn with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. This is one of several prayers that Paul prayed. It was a very, very meaningful prayer. It's a prayer that the Holy Spirit directed Paul to pray. And because the Holy Spirit directed Paul to pray, it's an anointed prayer that all of us can not only pray for ourselves, but also for the people that we love and that we care for, people that we're ministering to. We can make these prayers constant on our heart that God would do the things that, that we're going to look at here. Ephesians 3, we'll begin with verse 14. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And here's what he begins asking for. He asked that he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory. Remember Dave talked about that this morning? How great are the riches of God's glory? And Paul's saying, now Lord, you give him in accordance 
with your greatness, with your ability to give. You see, he, said, he says, I, I, I pray that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner man. And so what Paul is talking about here is the inward person, the, the self that, that really God alone knows fully and that we have a, a you know, pretty good handle on who we are, but a lot of areas of blindness. But that's the area, see, that God wants to work in us. That's the area where God longs to have communion with us. See, it's, it's, it's really in the temple of our hearts. It's where we think our deepest thoughts and plan our plans and dream our dreams. That's where Jesus wants to come and he wants to dwell with us. And the longest journey that God will ever take us through is taking things that are in our head and, and take, us through, take it through the 18 inches to get it into our hearts. Isn't that right? It's one thing to know about the Bible and know about the Scripture. That's good to know that. But it can't stop there. It needs to be integrated into our lives. And that's a tremendous process. It's a lifelong process that Jesus is after in us. And God wants to write His law on our hearts. In the Old Testament, the, uh, Jeremiah prophesied that God was going to give a new covenant that was going to write the very laws of God on our hearts. And see, God wants to so change our hearts that our heartbeat matches His, that our heart's desires match God the Father's, and that His eternal purposes and His eternal desires would be reflected in our lives as well. God wants to make the Word made flesh. You've heard that expression. See, see God, it's not enough just to have the Bible in a written form, but He's calling us to be living Bibles, living epistles, so that my life begins to reflect the glory of God. Hallelujah. And that's a... It's a great thing when the, the sweet fragrance of Jesus begins to waft off of your life or begins to just be splashed around to the people around you because Jesus is living within you and, and, in, his, and, and in His fullness, which is being revealed in an ongoing way. Because the longer you walk with the Lord, the more sweet should be the fragrance of, of, his, um, of his life which comes out of ours. So Paul is saying, I'm praying that the Father would strengthen you with the Spirit in the inward man. And then he goes on. He says in verse 17, he says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love. And see, Christ dwelling in us, is a, it's not just a positional truth that says, yeah, I've asked Jesus into my life, and therefore, yes, he lives there. But it's a growing revelation that tomorrow I'm going to express the life of Christ in a more clear way than I did today. The Bible says that, and Paul says that, he says that we see through a glass darkly. That means that even at best, we're, we really only see God with tinted glasses. And it's like we see him through a fog, and we're we're a little vague about his about who he really is as far as the revelation in our heart is concerned and it's god's purpose that as we walk in obedience as we as we experience the ongoing cleansing of the holy spirit the conviction of god separating us from the things that are wrong and evil in our hearts then we begin to see god more and more clearly and i have to say that i see jesus in such a more clear light than i did the night when I met him in 1973. And it was great the night I met him. Boy, I, it, it was a great experience. But you know, I appreciate him now more than I ever have before. And you know, the good news is, you know, when I come back next year, if I come back, 
I'm going to know him better and I'm going to appreciate him more even then. And what's great to think about is that all throughout eternity, every day of eternity, you're going to appreciate Jesus more. And you think you love him now, boy, 10 10 million years from now, you're going to just be blown away all the more. And then 10 million years after that, it's going to be greater than that. And on and on and on. See what an adventure eternity is? Oh, we got so many great things to look forward to. But we don't have to wait till eternity to begin to experience that. We can have the privilege now of walking with God in this present evil generation. Then verse 18. Paul says that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. And here Paul says is that there's something that Jesus wants to give you that is even beyond knowledge. Now, there's nothing wrong with knowledge, is there? Knowledge is a good thing as long as it's kept in the framework of love. Paul says that knowledge gives you a big head, makes you proud, but love edifies. And as long as knowledge is applied in a loving way, knowledge is a good thing. But Paul is speaking here of something that is even beyond knowledge. He's saying that I want you to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. And then he makes this statement here. He says that I want you to be filled up with all the fullness of God. Or filled up to all the fullness of God. Now I'm not sure what that means theologically, but I want you to ponder the implications of that experientially. What does it mean to be filled with all the fullness of God? There's a lot of potential there. Don't you think there's some things that are written in the scripture that we haven't laid hold of yet personally? Do you think there's some verses that we have a pretty fuzzy idea of what it really means to live that out? And you see, that's that's where as we spend time with God in the quiet place, in the secret place, see, God begins to shine his light on those fuzzy areas and he begins to reveal himself and he reveals our own hearts and then he reveals his grace so we can change and become more like Jesus. And oh, you begin to just see things so much more clearly. There's a neat proverb in Proverbs 4.18, I believe. It says that the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which grows brighter and brighter unto the new day. And that's what walking with Jesus is. If you're walking in the light and if you're walking in obedience, every day you walk with him, it's like God gives you a little more light. And some of you may have have watched a sunrise and, you know, you get up early and it's dark out and you don't see much of anything except maybe some stars in the sky. And then the the sky begins to show a little, little, a little bit of light and then a little color. And pretty soon you can begin to just see forms. You see the form of the mountains or maybe the form of trees and just just vague outlines. And then as that as that sun begins to come more and more fully, you begin to see more detail and you begin to see a little more distinction. And then as as the sunrise comes into all its glory, you see all these colors and then you look out over the valley and you go, wow, look at all this stuff, green grass, meadows and, and rivers that are flowing and the, the sun reflecting off the, the the different parts of the landscape and it's just beautiful. And that's where you guys, the revelation of God is in our lives. The more light you have, the more you begin to understand God's eternal purpose. The more you begin to understand why it is that Jesus has called you into his kingdom. And and then as we gain more light, we're we're more able to understand and to operate as members of the body of Christ. And we're more equipped then to carry out the great commission and to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. But it's a very slow thing. It happens 
it's like the dawn. It just comes slowly. And it's every like every once in a while you begin to notice, hey, I never saw that before. And you see some detail and you see some part of God in his character expressed. And you just go, oh, wow, that's neat. And see, God's beginning to give you a more clear picture of who he is. Imagine Paul. This guy was caught up into heaven. And he tells about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he says, he says, I once knew a man. He's not even too bold to talk about himself. He says, I knew this man. And he says, whether it was in the body or in the spirit, I don't know. He says, all, all that I know is this guy took off and went somewhere else. And he says, I saw heaven. I saw the third heaven. And I saw things that it's not lawful for a man to see. And I heard words that were inexpressible. Now, Paul had a revelation of the glory of God like few other men or women have had in all the history of man. And here Paul, having seen that, and God even had to give him some kind of thorn in the flesh to keep him from exalting himself because of all these glorious revelations that he had given Paul. And and here's Paul with all of this this stuff in his spirit. And and he says, I I cannot even communicate to you what I saw up there. There just isn't words to say about the eternal glory of God. But this, this is what I pray for you, Ephesians. I pray that God would give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. I pray that God would strengthen you in the inner man so that you would comprehend the height and the breadth and the depth of God's love. See, here, see you, you begin to sense Paul's burden. And, and in some ways, maybe a little bit of frustration that he can't just lop off their heads and pour it in and put their head back on, you know? Sometimes I wish I could do that. I could just... You know, have a, my little funnel here and just pour in the knowledge of God. You know, and then they would be instant mature Christians. But unfortunately, God doesn't work that way. He works little by little. And that's where, in the place of that daily seeking of God, that's where we begin to, to lay a hold of these things. And then in verse 20, Paul says, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to what? according to the power that works within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So God is saying that through the church, He wants to reveal His glory. And the one who is able to do far beyond that we would even ask. See, God's ready to do eons beyond, miles above what we even ask for. But it's according to the power of the Spirit that is free to work through us and use our lives as a vehicle of the Holy Spirit. In John 17.3, one of my favorite verses, I was talking with one of the guys from Bozeman last night after our meeting and we were sharing our little shields that Dave had us do and this was the favorite scripture that Chuck had put on his, his motto and, 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 it's, and it's one of my favorite scriptures too. John 17.3, Jesus says, And this is eternal life. Here Jesus defines what eternal life is all about. That they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That they may know thee. That's what eternal life is. Eternal life is a relationship with God. That's what life is all about, is getting to know God better. And knowing God and having intimate communion with Him cost something just like in any friendship or in any kind of romantic relationship or in a marriage if you're going to get to know someone it takes time doesn't it you need to spend time together communicating sharing the events of the day talking about your dreams your failures your desires 
your good times and your bad. It takes time to talk about those things. And that's the way it is with Jesus. That's why we have to have a secret time with Him. And it's hard sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't seem like we're getting anywhere. Sometimes it's discouraging. Sometimes it seems like this is a waste of time, Lord, to get up with you in the morning. Sometimes I feel that way. But again, my feelings aren't the barometer of reality. God's word is. The word of God says that if we diligently seek him, then surely he will reveal himself to us. So this business of walking by the spirit, this this thing of, of being led by the Holy Spirit, walking in a supernaturally natural way. This is what Jesus said in John chapter three and verse eight. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about him needing to be born again. And and Jesus makes this comment in verse 8. He says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And when we're born of the Spirit of God, there is a power that is released in our lives that is beyond natural determination. See, there's something that happens in the, in, in the life of a Christian that is supernatural. Because we are being led by the eternal Spirit of God. And see, just as the wind comes and you don't know where it came from and you don't know where it goes after it hits your face, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And you've heard the saying that says, we march by the sound of a different drum. And that's very true for us as believers. We walk with the living God. We do not walk with the principalities of the air. We do not walk with God's arch rival, Satan, but we walk with Jesus and, and see, there needs to, there, God wants to give that evidence of, of us walking with Him in a greater and greater way as we learn to cultivate that relationship with Him. Walking by the Spirit doesn't make us weird. You know, sometimes we've run into people that, in the name of walking in the Spirit, have done really weird things. And um, if you're like me, you'll probably make some mistakes as you learn to walk with God. And as we're learning to walk in the Spirit, that's okay as long as you learn from Him. God's a faithful God, and we can we can really step out and, and take those risks that Dave mentioned this morning. There's always a risk when, you, when God asks you to do something, and there's always the risk of you looking like a fool or looking weird, but that's just the risk of faith. If you want to play it safe, you'll never take steps of faith. What if Abraham wanted to, wanted to have played it safe, and here God spoke to him. He says, leave town, get out of town, and go, and when you get out there, I'll tell you where to go. So his friends are saying, well, Abe, where are you going? And he goes, well, um, God talked to me. And he said, get out of town. And they said, God talked to you. Who is God? You know, hey, Abraham's been hearing voices, you know. And uh, well, where did he tell you to go? Well, he said he'd tell me when I got out there. And everybody went, whoa, this guy has lost his mind. See, Abraham played, paid a tremendous price when he left his homeland and family and went out in the desert. But then after he took the step of obedience, then God began to show him. And he said, look at the land. He says, I'm going to give you this, all this land as your inheritance. And not only that, you're going to have a miracle son, Isaac, and he is going to be the lineage through which the Messiah is going to come. And see, Abraham walked out there in that desert for 24 years, believing that God could do what he said. So there's a tremendous test there, wasn't there? 24 years of believing that God was going to give you a son. And every day, Sarah got a little older. She was getting further into the time when it was impossible for her to have kids. And he wasn't getting any younger. It was harder for him to get it on. So it was just in the natural. It was an impossible situation. And yet, it says that with respect to the promise, he said, 
that he waxed firm in his faith, believing that God was able to do what he had promised. And finally, after God's dealings in their lives, the miracle son came forth and Isaac was born. And, and of course, from that, Jesus Christ came into the world. Tremendous promise. But see, it came through the test. He, that 24 years of walking in faith, walking, believing, saying, God, I believe that you're going to give us a child, even though we're getting really old here. You know, we're already on Social, social Security, Lord, you know, and uh, Medicare and all that. But we believe, God, that you're able to do that. We need to appreciate the price that Abraham paid and also many other men and women of God. And so God will call you to pay a price. But when you know it's God, when you're confident that it's the leading of the Spirit, and when you have confidence in who God is, you're able to go through the risks, you're able to go through the tests, and you're able to come out on the other side, and your life will be really fruitful for God. There's an interesting scripture in, in Revelation 1 and verse 10. In the book of Revelation, John tells us, he says that I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. John 1.10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a voice sounding like a trumpet. And then it goes on, it says what the voice was saying to him. The interesting thing to me is, what does it mean to be in the Spirit? Here John says, I was in the Spirit. And that can imply to me that we can be out of the Spirit, too. See, we can still be a Christian and be out of the Spirit. But I, I, I just give you some opinions here. I think that what John was saying is that I was having communion with the Lord on his day. Well, the Sabbath day principle is a, is a good principle. And God intends for us to take a day off where we leave our secular pursuits and all really all the pursuits of our life, and we take a day to focus in on who he is. See, I think that's what the principle of the Sabbath is. It's a day of rest, a day where we take a, a new look at what's going on in our lives. And we take time to seek the Lord, spend with our family, do the things that we don't have time for the other six days. And John, I believe, was having his day with the Lord. And it's like John was having his quiet time. He was having his little quiet time, his little closet time on the island of Patmos. There is a prisoner. And he was just, oh, Lord, it's another Sabbath day. I worship and I praise you today. Oh, God, you've been so good to me. You've spared me out of troubles. You've been good to my life. And oh, Lord, your church is increasing and multiplying. The gospel is going forth. Oh, God, bless Brother Paul and his ministry. He's just worshiping and talking to God. And all of a sudden, here's this trumpet. And he turns around. And who's there but Jesus himself in all his glory. And God pours this, the, the whole book, the contents of this, of this vision that John received that we have written for us here. It came in one of his quiet times. John probably wasn't expecting it. He had no idea it was coming. But in one of those times when he, when he was being faithful, God opened up heaven to him and he saw a perspective that even reached on to the end of the age and onto the future that God has for us. And the book of Revelation is a real encouragement for us because we see what is going to happen at the end of history. And that's that Jesus is the victor. He is the ultimate victor of human history. And so are those who put their confidence and faith in him. So that's what came out of John's devotional life. Now, I don't know if God's going to give you a revelation like that. None of us know that. But I do know this, that if you're faithful to seek God, he will let you know him. And he will let you walk with him in such a beautiful and a unique way, a way that is unique with your personality, a way that is just designed for you because God created you unique. And he's going to allow all of his dreams and desires to be fulfilled through your life. Do you want that? Amen.
God, you guys, there's nothing more that I want in life than to be the person God wants me to be. That's my supreme desire. And you know, we can get caught up in the mechanics of Christianity. We can get so caught up in core groups. We got core groups and I love it. We can get so caught up in ministry. I can get caught up in going and teaching people that I forget the master teacher. You see, I can get so busy doing the work of God that I forget just to have my time with the Lord and forget that, hey, I'm just walking with Jesus like everybody else. See, that one of the biggest traps is to get in ministry because we get so busy that we forget to be with Jesus. Or you get so busy being a computer programmer or an engineer or a teacher or whatever particular vocation you've chosen for your life that we can get so busy with that that we forget our main calling, and that's just to be with Jesus. And I'm going to give you some... I'm going to give you some some disciplines this week and some um, things in the following sessions that I trust will will help you and maybe give you some handles practically on how to spend time and how to make a meaningful closet time with the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, Paul's talking about the veil of unbelief that's before all people. But he says the veil is taken away in Christ. Remember in the Old Testament, first in the tabernacle and then later in the temple, the place where God dwelt was a place called the Holy of Holies. And that was a place where the Ark of the Covenant was placed and literally the presence of God dwelt in that in that physical place. And God's presence was manifest at different times. In fact, the, the Hebrew tr- uh, oral tradition tells us that when the priest went in there that they tied a leg or a rope around his leg. And he went in there once a year to offer the blood sacrifice of the Passover. And if something was out of whack in his life, if there was unconfessed sin, or if there was something impure about him, literally he could be struck dead. And they tied a rope on his leg so that they could pull him out of the Holy of Holies so that no one else would have to die going in there to get that. That's literally true. And that's the holiness of God. But you know what happened when Jesus died? It says the veil in the temple was torn. And that signifies to us, you guys, that in the New Testament, in the age of the Spirit, the very way into God's heart is available to us. See, we don't have to go through the ritual. We don't have to go through enough. If you hear what I'm saying, we don't have to go through the ritual of church or denominations to get to God. We all have a personal link with Jesus. Now, we need each other. We need organizations. That's that. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that our primary access to God is by the Spirit. And it's something that every one of us has to do. See, you can't depend on me for your walk with God. You can't depend on just the corporate worship when you come together for your weekly fellowship meetings. You can't depend on just the exhilaration and the edification that comes there. But you've got to walk with Jesus every day if you're really going to become what God wants you to be. And this is what Paul says. He says, But we, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. And when Paul says we behold things as in a mirror, they didn't have the kind of mirrors we do. They had metal kind of mirrors that gave a very vague image at best. They weren't very good mirrors. But Paul says that we see the glory of God vaguely in a mirror. But what happens is as we respond to the glory of God, we're transformed and changed. And from glory to glory is like climbing a staircase. Today I see the glory of God. And if 
And if I'm doing my part of being obedient and seeking God, like David said, the Lord said, seek my face. And and I said, Lord, I will seek your face. If we have that posture of wanting to seek God, then the next time we see the glory of God, we're going to be changed. We're going to take another step up that staircase, kind of the glory staircase, you see. And we're going to be changed a little more. And we're going to be changed day by day and, and week to week and year by year until the day the Lord takes us home and we're going to be really conformed into the image of Jesus. The sad thing for a Christian is to forget that process and not to take the time and effort, which it does take time and effort to seek God. It really does. If you're not going to put much into it, you're not going to get much out of it from God because God only rewards the diligent seekers. God only reveals himself to those who want it, those who cry out for it, those who would lift their voices, it says in Proverbs. But those who really mean business and say, God, I want this more than anything else, God says to that person, I will pour out the blessing of heaven. And so when we stand before Jesus on the judgment day, all of us will know him to the degree that we wanted to. See, all of us will know God to the degree that we wanted to. You see, if we wanted to be great in some area of sports, then that's what we get. And the Lord won't condemn us for that. But see, the real reward is knowing Jesus. Now, you can know Jesus and do those other things, but Jesus has got to be the center of it, you see. And he wants to richly reward all of us with, 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 with a deep revelation of himself. And so he calls us to seek him daily. I want you to do just to write a couple of things down in, in, in practice as, we're, as we close here. There's a couple of things you can begin to do. Number one is pray the prayers of Paul. One of them is the Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 20. Memorize that prayer and pray it. Another prayer is Ephesians 1, verses 17 through 19. And this is where Paul says, he says, I pray that God would give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the true knowledge of God. I pray that you would know the hope of his calling and that you would know the greatness of his power towards us who believe. So Paul is praying for three things there. And that is a good prayer to pray. I pray that I pray that prayer a lot for myself and for uh, the folks in our fellowship and for our church. I pray that God would send a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. And so that's that's one way of beginning to say, God, I want to know you. Remember the um, remember the song that Mike taught us last night. Brad, would you turn the overhead on? It's such a great song, and it just uh, so much captured the 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 heart of what I was desiring to communicate through this class, especially in the chorus. There, he says, "I want to know you. I want to love you. Give me a deep desire within. I want to know you. I want to love you. Give me patience and discipline." Boy, couldn't say it better. And oh, that cry that would say, God, I want to know you. And every day it's like we're, we're knocking on the, 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 the portals of heaven saying, God, I want to know you today. It's like we're tugging on Jesus' his robe and saying, Lord, today, what, I want to know you today. Kind of wanting to pester him a little bit. Now listen, God doesn't need to be pestered. He wants to reveal himself far more than we want to know him even. But it requires that, that sense of seeking and calling out to God. So that's the first thing is pray those prayers regularly. God, let me know you. Then the second thing is obey the word and the spirit. When you know something to do, when God quickens you a commandment in the word, when he gives you a directive by the Holy Spirit, you need to obey. Because if you do not obey, 
then we are living really in disobedience and it's hard to hear God. And then we lose track of God because we need to walk with God and we need to do the next thing that he instructs us to do. And if that is to forgive someone who has hurt you, then until you forgive that person, you're really walking in disobedience and you're going to get a lot of static as far as hearing God on anything else. If God has told you to tithe and you're not tithing, see, then you're, you're really walking in darkness when God has given you clear instructions and you're not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. And you're going to have trouble getting other instructions from the Lord until you get that issue right. Remember what God did with the children of Israel in the wilderness? Remember when they disobeyed? What did God do? Send them on another lap around the desert. And then they still didn't want to obey. So what did they do? Took another lap, you know. Finally, for 40 years of taking laps, all the old, old, the old generation died off. And God says, okay, now we'll try again with you folks. And you guys, that's what happens is if we don't obey the Lord, God will let us go our own way. He says, okay, if you don't want to forgive, then you just live with your bitterness and your unforgiveness. And around the desert you go. And around the desert you go. And I've seen many Christians wandering in the desert. Now, they're still Christians. They're still beloved of God. But they're just not fruitful. See, they're not, they're not having a, uh, a real vital part in extending the Great Commission. They're just wandering around out there in the wilderness, kind of using up energy. See, and God doesn't want you just to be out there wandering around. He wants you to be going where he's going. But in order to do that, that requires that we obey him in everything. And then the third thing is you need to make time to spend with God daily. You need to make time to spend with God daily. Abraham is an interesting figure in the Old Testament. He's a man noted, a man who's noted because he built altars. And altars, uh, to me, signify a place of devotion and worship. And Abraham regularly spent time with God, and that's why he got to know him so well. And so we spend time with God. We spend time in the Word. We spend time in prayer. And we spend time in waiting. And we're going to talk about those three things in the next couple of sessions. But it needs a, a commitment of time. Now, we don't, we aren't rigid about these things. I mean, there's no magic formula, like spend an hour a day and you'll know God, because it's, it's a matter of being with Jesus. And it comes out of a heart of love. The great commandment, in fact, the great whole commandment is to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's where we're coming from. I spend time with Jesus because I love him. And I serve him because I love him, not because I'm going to get the goodies if I do what's right, you know. God's not a slot machine where you put in the quarter, pull the crank, you know, and then out comes the money. God is the living God, and we serve him because he's worthy of being served. But God will reward those who are diligent. God will reward you. And I, and I pray that in 10 years that you could look back at your life and you could just, as I have done this week and as I prepared for this lecture, just look back and say, God, thank you. You have abundantly rewarded me for the meager attempts that I have made at seeking you. Thank you. That See, God's always an abundant giver. He always gives us according to the riches of his glory. And that is that if you take a step, he takes a giant step. You give an inch, he'll, you give him an inch, and he, I say, he rewards you a mile's worth. That's just the kind of God that we serve. And if you can have it in your heart to develop a consistent closet time with God, Lord knows what he's going to do with your life and the kind of fruit that you're going to bear. The Bible says in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Our part is to draw near to God. And we do that by studying the word, by praying and by getting alone with him. And God promises that he will draw near to us. I want to close with just two stories. History has some 
tremendous examples of men and women who knew God in incredible ways. And, and, and some of these people were, were rightly dubbed as saints, especially in the Catholic tradition. These people were, 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 uh, what is it called when they make someone a saint? Canonized. And see, there was good reason. It's because these people left a tremendous legacy of fruit. One of these such people was a lady who some of you may know of. It's a, lady, a French lady called Madame Guyon. Actually, in the French, it's Madame Guyou. She lived in the 1600s, and she, at a young age, had a heart to know God. And God began to work in her life, and and she began to teach people that you could hear the voice of God and that God could direct you by His Spirit. And she began to learn about what the cross was. And in in her autobiography, she tells of how God dealt with her about her pride and arrogance. And it goes into quite depth, quite a lot of detail about that. It's a very interesting book. But as she grew older, the presence of Jesus literally emanated from her life. And the uh, she had some enemies in the church hierarchy in the Catholic Church, and they ended up imprisoning her in in in, in France. And even from her prison cell for seven years, people would come to visit, and they left knowing that they'd been in the presence of God. They couldn't stop her ministry, even though they, they you know they put her in a cell. And yet, people came to her and were just in her presence were converted to Jesus because there was such a transparency of Jesus coming out of her life. And I would want that to be true of my life. I want people to know that there's a living God by what they see in my life. Hallelujah. And then I want to read one account here of a man. This is a man who was converted to Christianity in India in the early part of this century. His name was Sadhu Sundar Singh. And he's a man, an Indian Christian who walked with Jesus very closely. He sold all that he had. He literally was ostracized by his family, and he walked with Jesus through the the hills and the mountains of Nepal and and northern India. And he became tremendous legends are told about this guy and things that happened in his life. We're not even sure now what part is true and what isn't because it's some such tremendous things happened through this guy's life. But in in, in one of the accounts of one of his dear friends, this is an example of, of the sadhu's life. He says, a slight instant, instant incident in Kotgar, where we were with Sadhu, may be, may be given as an illustration, for it reveals the source of the inner life which was hid with Christ in God. Sadhu got up one night from prayer and was preparing to go out alone. When questioned why he was starting out so late at night, he replied that he had heard a call from someone from the valley below who needed his immediate help. Those who were sleeping by his side implored him to wait until early dawn and not to risk the dangers of the forest throughout the night. But Sadhu insisted on starting at that very moment. After a few days' absence, he returned. The person he had gone to to seek had been seriously ill and had greatly needed his assistance. This sudden call by the spirit within him, communing with his own spirit during the night of silent prayer was in keeping with Sadhu Singh's whole life as a Christian and his immediate obedience without fear was of the same character. Such things as these illuminate with a fullness of a new meaning the great words of the apostle, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And I believe that we can come to such a place where the Holy Spirit is so fine-tuned in our lives that God can begin to lead us and guide us in in very specific ways. Now, that probably didn't happen to him every night. But when God needed it to, God could say, Sadhu, go. And 
he could go in obedience to the Holy Spirit. There's a great man, a man named Duncan Campbell, a great revivalist in in the early part of this century. And he was speaking at a conference in London. And he was the speaker the last night of this great conference. God's blessing had been there. And he was sitting on the platform and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, go get a boat to the New Hebrides, which are some islands. Um, I'm, I'm not even sure where they are in the world. But he, the Lord spoke to him and says, go and get a boat right now. And so being a man of God, he, he, conf- you know, he prayed about it. He just felt this was God's leading. He told the leader of the conference, and the leader of the conference said, this is very unusual, but we believe that you know, if you believe it's God, you go with our blessing. So they told him to go. And, and so this guy went, he, got on the, he booked himself a passage the next morning, and he sailed to the New Hebrides. And he came there and he got off the boat and there was a little boy playing by the side of the dock. And he said, uh, are you Mr. Campbell? And he says, yes. Uh, how did you know my name? And he says, my parents were praying last night and they, the spirit told them that a Mr. Campbell was going to come and that a great revival was going to come. And this family had prayed for years for revival in, the, in these islands. And so this little boy took him to his home and they put him up. He uh, spoke at church the next morning and nothing unusual happened. And the Sunday night service was the same way. There was a sense of God's blessing there, but nothing unusual happened. And they dismissed the service and people were going home. And all of a sudden, people began to fall on their faces and they began to cry out to God for mercy. And this hit the whole island. People in bars literally fell off their stools and began crying to God to save them from their sin. And this revival closed down all the bars and saved hundreds of people in this area. And God visited that island in a tremendous revival. And the man that God chose to use was a man who was willing to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, to leave the meeting in a very unusual way, but yet to go in obedience. And he was led of God and God sparked the revival through his, through his ministry. So who knows what God's going to do in your life. But in order to be a soldier, to be a person that is under the discipline of the Spirit, we need to go through the daily discipline of seeking after God with all of our hearts. Amen. Let's join in prayer. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to do this as we're closing tonight. I want you to talk to the Lord in the quietness of your heart. And I want you to talk to Jesus. And I want you to, you to respond to him and saying, Lord, this is what I've heard tonight. This is what Dave Argy has been sharing with us. And Lord, here's my response to you. And I want you just to tell Jesus what your response is to his word tonight. Thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters here tonight. Thank you, God, that they have a kingdom call on their lives, that their hearts are desiring, Lord, to move and work with you. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will grant us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation as we're gathered here this week. And Lord, may may all of us be renewed with, with a new vision of what it means to seek you daily, Lord. And that, Lord, we'll be will arise to the occasion and be willing to pay the price to do whatever it takes to get to know you better, Lord, because we know that is eternal life, to know you and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I pray, Lord, you'll burn these things on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. For more teaching and discipleship resources from Dick, visit fatherheartministries.net.